Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. Um, I want to start with some ministry. Is that all right? And then, well, who knows what's going to happen next? I don't know. But I started, um, I ended the last session with uh, a saying that I say that's attached to a story. And I felt Holy Spirit on that story. So I just want to start with that story. Um, I used to be an event producer. I used to produce events. And a lot of times there would be more than one event going on at a time. So there'd be an event in this city and that city, and then I'm responsible for the success of all of it, right? And I can't always be there in person because there's only one of me. Tried to clone, doesn't work. And so I had an event in Austin that my husband and I were going to, small curated event, probably about 10, 15 people. And then there was an event going on. These are not singles events. This is back before um, my single assignment with the Lord. Um, and uh, there was one going on in Columbus, Ohio, where we're originally from. And then we had the next day an event going on in D.C. So I want you to follow me here. So in Austin, we're on our way to the event in Austin because we live in Austin. And I was praying over all the events that were happening. And God spoke to me and he said, Candace will be there and she needs healed. So I'm like, I'm on it, God. I got an assignment. Candace is going to be there and she needs healed. I failed to ask him where Candace was going to be. Because I got to this small event with 10, 15 people, and I'm going around, and I'm looking at name tags, and I'm like, okay, Candace, where are you? We're about to have an encounter with Jesus. Where's Candace? You guys, I, ever, I even went as far, and you might be like me, to start asking people what their middle names were. Anybody else? I'm like, oh, that's a nice first name. What middle name goes with that? You know, just trying to find Candace. Where is Candace at? And she wasn't there. And so I'm like, okay. But I knew that the Lord was telling me that Candace was going to be there and she needed healed. And so I went home that night and I went to bed and I woke up the next morning and guess what? I hadn't forgotten about Candace. Now, I think this is a supernatural moment because we're so distracted. We have so much going on in our lives that someone, that God would put you on the heart of someone that doesn't even know you to that extent. And I want you guys to all feel that right now from heaven for just a moment. Because even if you don't know it, that has happened for you. You have been on the heart of a stranger. Someone who's part of this beautiful family of God. An intercessor. Someone who's been praying for you. Doesn't know who you are. Doesn't know where you are. But is praying for you. And so I woke up the next day and we have to catch a flight to D.C. And I'm still thinking about Candace. And I'm like, well, you know, God didn't say she was going to be at that event. So he just said she's going to be there. I don't know where there is. Maybe it's on the plane. So I'm I'm listening over, you know, eavesdropping basically to other people's conversations, trying to see if I hear the name Candace. I'm looking at I'm looking at the name tags of, you know, the flight crew. Where's Candace? Where's Candace? Where's Candace? Maybe we're going to have a, a plane encounter, which you guys, I'm actually kind of opposed to. When I get on the plane, I'm just going to admit to you that I put on the headphones and I just get in my bubble and I'm like, don't look at me, don't talk to me. We're not going to have a plane encounter. And I think it's because I heard this one prophet talking about how he gets on planes and then, you know, they're like, is there a doctor? And he's like, I can heal them. I'm like, oh Lord, I'm putting my headphones on. I'm right here. I'm not available, you know, out for lunch kind of thing. So I'm looking on the plane, willing to have an encounter with Candace. I get to DC event. I'm looking for Candace. It's the uppermost part of my mind. Where is Candace? Looking, listening. The next day, we are leaving to go back to Austin on the plane. And I call my mother-in-law, who still lives in Columbus, Ohio, who was at the Columbus, Ohio event that first night that I didn't get to go to. And she's just chattering away, telling me how great the event was and how thankful she was that we put it on and da 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 And then I say to her, hey, how did Char do? The executive director of the clinic where my mother-in-law volunteers was one of the speakers that I lined up for this event. She goes, oh, didn't you hear? At the last minute, Char's husband got really sick. It was an emergency situation and she couldn't come. I'm like, why would someone not tell me that one of my speakers didn't show up at the event? She goes, oh, but it's okay because her assistant, Candice filled in for her. So the next day, I find, two days later, I find Candace through this story that my mother-in-law is telling me, and I was able to connect with Candace and get her this healing that she needed. And what came out of that is God spoke to me, and he said, I know where you are, but I also know where you're going to be. 
right? I know who you are. I know where you are. I know where you're going to be. And I know what you need. And I know how to get it to you. And I want you just to say that over yourself right now. God knows who I am. He knows where I am. He knows where I'm going to be. He knows what I need. And he knows how to get it to me. Say it again. God knows who I am. He knows where I am. He knows where I'm going to be. He knows what I need. And he knows how to get it to me. And he knows, how to use, he knows who to use to get it to me. Because you know what? God works through people. You know, I, I, have, I have an ad that talks about what we do, and that is we help revive marriage and family. Since 2020, when God asked me to partner with him, we have seen over 650 engagements and marriages in our community as a result of what we have said yes to. And so the things that I run on social media, they say, hey, you know, God asked me to partner with him. God asked me to help him because he said, I want my single sons and daughters married. All the single people in the room got a little nervous. <laughs> You're not getting married today. You don't have like a golden ticket under your seat. Like you get a husband and you get a wife. Um, that's not going to happen. But you guys, people's reaction to that ad, so to speak, is very interesting. Because people in the comments will say, God doesn't need your help. And I'm like, actually... I'm not trying to be rude, but God has chosen to work through people, well, since the beginning of time, right? So he does need our partnership. He does need our help. And so he knows who to use to get whatever it is that you need to you. Someone else might have given up on Candace. I'm not patting myself on the back, but there was a supernatural intention and attention on me to find Candace and to not give up on Candace. When my mom was sick in the hospital and she was passing away in uh, 2020, actually the very beginning before lockdown, before pandemic and all of those things, uh, I was down in Tampa and I was going back and forth to the ICU from my brother's house to the ICU, from my brother's house to the ICU. And of course, I'm very heavy with care and discouragement and all kinds of things. And God spoke to me and he said, don't look at her, just look at me. Don't look at, don't look at this, just keep your eyes on me. But the the prayer of my heart was, God, I'm looking at you. Look at me. Right? I'm looking at you. I'm doing what you told me to do. I'm not paying attention to this. I'm keeping my eyes fixed on you, Jesus. But I need to see you looking at me. And I just, I felt that in my spirit for this room today, for this moment. You guys, there's never going to be another moment like this moment. This group of people, this exact combination, there's never, ever going to be another moment like this. The things, the cares of your life, your heart, the things that you came in here thinking about, never, ever again. And we need to know that we're looking at him, but is he looking at me? And the Candace story is about feeling forgotten and God reminding us that he knows who we are and he knows where we are and he knows what we need and he knows how to get it to us. Right? He knows how to get it to us. In fact, one of my favorite prayers is, hey God, you know, whoever has what I need and they're holding on to it, let them give it up. <laughs> let them let it go. Let them release it to me. Let them release it to me. Whatever it is, the wisdom, the revelation, the resources, if they have it and they don't realize, hey, this doesn't belong to me. This belongs to somebody else. Let me release it. I have more than enough. Let me release it. And as I was thinking about this sitting here and what God wanted to say about how he sees us and he's looking at us and, you know, he's, we're looking at him and he's looking back at us. I saw all the men in this room and it's like God started highlighting you. I saw highlights on you, you know, and God said, you know, there's a little girl posse up here during worship. I don't know if you saw them. And so I think women a lot of times emotionally have an easier time connecting to some of the things that I'm saying right now. Um, but God wants you sons to know that he hasn't forgotten you, that he sees you, that you're highlighted. You know, I saw so many of you specifically being highlighted. Sir, I saw a highlight from heaven just shining on you. You know, I saw a highlight from heaven shining on you, so many of you. And God wants you to know, I haven't forgotten my sons. My sons are not forgotten. Yeah, maybe, you know, they're not as, you know, emotional about it. Maybe they're not as upfront about it, but 
I want you to know because I see what's going on in the world, especially in the world of marriage and family, and we need you. We need men. We need men. In fact, in my women's program, one of the very first things that I make my female students do is admit that they don't just want a man, they need a man. <laughs> I saw a couple guys go, all right. <laughs> all right. Don't just want a man, need a man. Don't just want a partner, need a partner, right? Go back to Genesis. It also says that a man needs a woman. Adam wasn't knocking on God's door looking for a woman. Uh, hey, God, you know, these animals are great, but you got anything else up there? You're holding out on me. What else do we have? Now, that wasn't what happened. God looked at his creation and said, something is missing. Something's missing. You know, I want my family to exist in family and in community with their kind, the way that we exist in our kind. Yes, we're made in the image of God, but we need our own kind to see a greater depiction of what God looks like, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they wanted us to exist in family as well, in community as well. And so enter the first surgery, the woman, here we go. Right, also made intentionally. Let's just stop there for a second because I think the rest of the message, God's doing something right now because he doesn't want what I'm gonna share with you to sound like an indictment. He wants it to sound like an invitation. It's an invitation. If we see it through the lens of rules and regulations and even the law, that's how we're going to process it and receive it. But God wants us to see it through love. So all of creation with his voice, he created it. But when it came to his family, he got so intentional. He got down in creation in the dust of the earth and he formed man with his hands. So lovingly, he planted a garden for man to dwell in. You see the intention that's being taken there? Same with Eve. She was taken from the rib of man and she was fashioned. She was created intentionally and lovingly. And then when it even comes to us, Psalms 130, Psalm 139 tells us we were what? We were knit together. I've tried to knit, it's not easy. You miss even one loop, you got to go all the way back to the beginning, and it's really just ridiculous. So I had like holes in the things um, that I was trying to do. So you have to be very intentional. You have to pay attention to what you're doing, right? And so he knit us together, all of our most intricate parts in the secret place of our mother's womb. Why? Because he loves us. He loves us. And if we walk around this world feeling like, you know, he doesn't know who we are, or where we are, or where we're going to be, or what we need, or how to get it to us, then that's what we're going to convey to other people, right? If he, we don't feel seen by him, if we feel like we're looking at him all the time, but he's not looking back at us, then what does that cause? That causes us to lose hope. It causes us to go through the motions of dead religion, we don't want to go through the motions of dead religion. There's a favorite verse that I think a lot of single women <laughs> quote to me a lot. And they say, yeah, my hope is deferred and my heart is sick. And I'm like, I get it. I understand. But the problem is, is that that scripture is talking about you deferring your hope. So just sink that in. Let's let that sink in just for a second. God can't defer hope because it's one of the three eternal things. There's an endless supply of it, faith, hope, and love, right? So he's not cutting off the supply of hope. So if our, if our hope is deferred, and by the way, that word deferred, it means to postpone it. It means to suspend it. Till what? Till you have evidence that whatever you're hoping for is really gonna happen. We have a tendency to get really excited about the promises of God, and we talked about that in first service, how this place is pregnant, like fully gestated with God's promises. And with that full gestation comes a weariness, and we all experience that. So this, like I said, this is not an indictment. God's here to infuse us with supernatural strength today and love and help us on the assignment that he's given us. He never asked us to do this by ourselves. Never. The only thing you'll ever do is surrender, and he'll even give you the strength to do that. This is not a situation where it's a 50-50 kind of thing. God does all the heavy lifting. He does all the heavy lifting. You're empowered to do anything that's important in this life. So we suspend and we postpone our hope until we have proof that whatever it is we're hoping for is gonna happen. And that deferment causes our heart to break. 
That word that, so a heart sick, it just means a broken heart. It causes us to be broken hearted, right? And guess what? Sick hearts look for medication. That's what happens every time. If we're deferring our hope, and remember, that's our choice to defer it, to not grab a hold of it and hold on to it and ask God to help us to have a fresh supply of it every day. We know that we have mercy that's new every day, but guess what? We have hope. We have faith. We have love. There's an endless supply, a new portion of that. Okay, and I've had to live in that. Because remember, in those times of trial and those times of pain, God's like, don't look at that. Look at me. And when you're looking at him, that's when that comes. You know me. You see where I am. And guess what happens next? Little God winks. <laughs> Little God winks happen next. Can I tell you, during that season of my life, I would go places and he'd say, oh, you want to see that I'm looking at you? All right, baby girl, watch this. I go into a bookstore and he was talking to me about, hey, you know, I'm winking at you, <laughs> you know, I'm looking at you. And this man, this elderly gentleman comes up to me and he goes, hey, he said, I'm in Barnes and Noble. Have you ever heard of a book called God Winks? I'm like, so, tell me more. <laughs> tell me more, sir. Tell me more, my new grandpa. Let's talk. <laughs> Let's talk. And so he began to tell me all kinds of things and began to encourage me in the Lord. And that happens so often. And God has used all of you probably. Raise your hand first of all if, that's, if someone has done that for you. Some stranger somewhere, maybe even someone that you know, encouraged you in things that they shouldn't have known about and didn't know about in the spirit. Okay, now put your hands down. Now raise your hand if you've done that for someone else. God has used you to have a divine appointment to encourage someone to love them. You guys, those moments change people's lives. They changed your life. You remember, we could pass around the microphone and we could all just be crying like squishy babies all morning. Because we see that God knows who we are, where we are, and what we need and how to get it to us, right? We're proving it. We're proving it to each other through those stories. But those people that you probably will never see again, you change their lives. Because in that moment, they know that God is real. They can always go back to that and know that God is real. You guys, there are so many people right now, and I want to talk about this unprecedented harvest that God wants to not only bring in New York City, and unprecedented doesn't just mean of large size and quantity. It means of a whole different quality. It means a different type of thing. And I believe that there are mavericks and misfits and people that are rebels of religion out there that are waiting for a divine appointment with you. They're waiting for a divine appointment with people that see the value in them. I was remembering the parable of those 11th hour workers in the vineyard. And guys, the reason why those people weren't chosen, they say, no one has chosen us to work. You know, no one's picked us. We're just waiting around here. And a lot of us feel like that. We feel like, hey God, you were handing out some gifts and talents and here I am. You know, you didn't pick me. I see all these other people doing these great things. And I'm like, hey, where's mine? What am I going to do? The people that were working through the heat of the day and working before that, those were the skilled laborers, right? Those were the people that knew what they were doing in the vineyard. <laughs> and the people that weren't were maybe not the people that knew what they were doing. And I want to submit to you that the time for professional Christianity is over. Case in point, God has chosen me to do something that I'm fully unqualified to do. Everyone in my family has been divorced, including myself. My mother was married three times before I was 10 years old. All right, my dad's been married five times, son his fifth wife, and talking about getting a divorce. My biological father that didn't raise me left at six months old. When it comes to marriage and family, I have no resume. Somebody really needs to get a hold of what I'm saying right now. Because I have become like the poster child for marriage and family. And only God could do such a thing. And when I tell you that I didn't have any bandwidth for it, I'm not kidding. Who's heard of the seven mountains? Like the seven mountains of influence. You guys, there's way more than seven, right? But it's the seven mountains of influence. If you haven't, it's like media, government, you know, religion, all the things. Family is one of them. And at the time of us first getting married, and if you haven't heard our story, we were neighbors and God put us together. God, marriage is for ministry. God puts you together with a partner for assignment. And that doesn't necessarily look like planning a church or traditional ministry. It just means that there are gifts in each of you that when you come together, they begin to unseal and unlock. 
David and I, we didn't even really know what each other were carrying until we partnered together. And the reason why was because that wasn't a one-person assignment. God couldn't show him what he was going to do in the future because it wasn't a one-person assignment. He couldn't show me what I was going to do because it came on the heels of years and years of dedicating my life to blended family, which I didn't have yet. I didn't have that yet. So when we got married, my one child became three, right? My Prince Charming was a family set, came with children included. <laughs> and, uh, and of course, no one says, when I grow up, I want to be divorced, but remember, that's all I had ever seen. I didn't meet Jesus until years into my first marriage. So I was already married when I met Jesus in my 20s. And that's true of so many people. And um, so uh, this church that we used to go to had these big posters of the seven mountains all over the room. And people would just go, kind of like the Stations of the Cross, you former Catholics, and they would just go through and they would pray at all of them, right? And I went to Catholic school when I was a kid and I actually liked that. I was like, oh, this is fun. We go over here and pray and go to all the places Jesus on this way to the crucifixion. And so I would just bypass the family one. And I'd pray at the media one because I was doing some TV work at the time, um, executive television work and then I would go to this one and that one and then I would go to the government one I was like you know I could be I could be a like a congresswoman or something and I would just pray at the ones that I liked and that I wanted right and so one day I was walking around the room can't make this up and I felt holy I had my eyes closed and I was just praying and Holy Spirit said stop look up here's your mountain and it was family and I said I I, I tell you when I I'm not exaggerating when I say that my heart just broke. I was like, what? Because God was showing me something that I absolutely had no bandwidth for. I had no bandwidth for it. In fact, when we first got married, uh, our children who were five, nine, and 11, and the nine and 11 being David's children with his first wife, uh, they would come home from school on Wednesday to our house, because we had shared parenting. And every Wednesday, I would have like a, a crisis. I would have an existential experience that was not good. Every Wednesday, I'm like, okay, these kids are coming back. I don't know what to do with them. When I say that I was avoidantly attached, I was avoidantly attached. I would go up to my room, shut the door, and take this time of day since I work from home to be the time when I got ready. When I did things, you know, that I should have done from the morning. What was I doing? I was putting up a wall between me and these kids. And I didn't even know that I was doing it. And a lot of us are doing that. We're doing that in our lives with people that God wants us to let in. And we're doing that in our lives with people that God wants to bring in our lives, but he can't even bring them in our lives yet because we wouldn't even see them if they were right in front of us because we have these filters and these blind spots of disconnection on. And so one day I'm standing at the sink and I'm just washing the dishes and God spoke to me and he said, why are you giving yourself permission to be a loser? And I was like, God, are you calling me a loser? And he said, no. He said, but you are calling yourself a loser. He said, all of your life, he said, all you wanted was a family. When you were a little girl, you wanted a family. Everybody else had a mom and dad. Everyone else had this and that. During those foster care years, you wanted a family. You wanted to belong. You wanted community. He said, I've given it to you. And now look where you are. Shutting a door in between it, not opening your heart. And I was like, I can't, I don't know how. I was, I was so afraid of it. I was afraid of rejection. I was afraid of abandonment. I was afraid. I grew up in a home where there were adults and they were ever-changing adults, okay? Three different husbands, different boyfriends, different things going on in my mom's life. At 14, I went to live in foster care, different adults all the time. So there were adults, but I didn't know if they were going to be there tomorrow. And then I didn't know if they were going to let me be there tomorrow. That's what my childhood looked like. And so I had gotten to a place where, you know, people weren't safe. And every once in a while, someone got in. Um, but I wasn't just going to open the door freely and let everybody in, right? And so that day, and this is what, if you're, if you're resonating with that and you feel like you keep your circle tight and right, you know, you have all these buzzwords of boundaries and all the things that you use to justify having a small life when it comes to relationship. I sat down at the table that day and I waited for those kids to get home. I waited. 
And when they got off the bus, they were surprised to see me there. They were used to me being off, distracted, doing something else. And I waited there. And when they came, they sat down at the table and they had a snack and we talked about their day and I connected with them. And I wish I could tell you that after that day, you know, I never did the whole door to them again. I did. But now I was self-aware. Now I realized what I was doing and why I was doing it. And I had a choice. I had a choice. I can trust God to give me the tools that I need for a relationship. And so I started sitting at that table and I started having connection with those kids. And guess what? Those kids are 28, 26, and 23 now. And we are thick as thieves. We're so close. You know, we have such an amazing blended family that no one even knows we're blended. And that didn't happen overnight. That happened as a result of me saying, I, I'm afraid, Lord. I am. But I'm going to trust you. And so I don't know who that's for. It's probably for a lot of people. Because the number one thing that's going on right now in our world is the love of many is waxing cold. That's the number one thing that's happening. And we're seeing it. We're seeing it. Millennials, did you guys know this? 56% of the people born between the years of 1980 and 1995 are single. And it's not just about marriage and family, but look at that. That is, that is a harbinger. That's a sign of the times, right? 56%. And do you know that the financial resources in this world that bet their money on what you're going to buy and what you're going to sell and it's big business and important to them to get those stats right, they say that you're going to stay single at the tune of 70% by the year 2038. So for most of you, well past the childbearing years, naturally, of course, God can do anything. But yes, not starting families, not getting married, not partnering. Why? Because of distrust. The number one reason that people are saying don't get married now is because of public dissatisfaction and disenchantment with marriage. You guys, I blew up on TikTok. I had some viral videos, but for all the wrong reasons. I actually mentioned the word marriage, and I had no idea that it was a cuss word. People went crazy. It was like the wild, wild west. All my comments were like, girl, who are you? What are you talking about? What rock are you living under? No one's getting married. No one gets married. Marriage is for fools. I saw that over and over again. I saw men saying marriage is a losing, a losing variable or equation or proposition for men. Men always lose. Over and over, the same kind of comments. And we're talking like what? 250,000 people? Big numbers. Viral, right? Not for the right reason, but viral. <laughs> and so God spoke to me today and he said, y'all, what time am I done at today? What time? Just so I can make sure. I can't say my name in 15 minutes. Okay, yeah. All right, good. Perfect. Okay. I got time. All right. First Peter 4.17 basically says that the family of God has to go first. That's basically what it says. It says the family of God must go first because if we don't, what hope is there for anybody else? If we're not the model, if we don't go first, if we don't volunteer, if we don't let the judgment of heaven, which by the way is not the wrath and brimstone that you've been told, it's putting things into alignment with kingdom. The curse is broken. We don't have to live under that anymore. We can step into the love of God, which brings things into alignment and kingdom in our lives, in our relationships, in our finances, in our health, and all of those things. So 1 Peter 4.17 is basically asking for volunteers. Like who wants to volunteer as tribute? To go, right? Because we have to go first. We have to show this culture what love looks like what marriage looks like, what family looks like. If we don't do it, then they're not gonna know. They're not. So the curse is broken. We don't have to live under that any longer. And I feel like the Lord was speaking to me about this assembly, this spiritual community, and ones like it because there's others. They're like, if you close your eyes and you just look at the United States, there's little hot spots. You can see it. 
There's like little lights, like lighthouses happening. And one of them's here at Life Center. I've seen it in the spirit. I call them depots. Why? Because a depot is someplace where you go and you get materials, you get filled up with things, and then you get sent out to use those, right? And so I see that. And so it's a prototype of sorts. It's a remnant of sorts. And I didn't know this, but if you have like a remnant of a fabric, you can actually reproduce it. If you have the tiniest bit of it remaining of an original fabric, you can actually reproduce the original. And I feel like that's what God's doing. I feel like he's reproducing the original of what his divine design was when it comes to family when it comes to love, when it comes to friendship, when it comes to marriage in places like Life Center and those other depots around the world, right? Isn't that a fun assignment? Do you believe it? And if you're visiting, come on, right? You're carriers of this. That's why you're here. That's why you're here in this moment, this divine moment. So family, let's talk about that for a second. All God ever wanted was a family, Whatever your upbringing has told you, whatever culture has told you, whatever the movies and media that you listen to, whatever the Pied Piper song is that's leading you and distracting you in your life, all God ever wanted was a family. That's what this whole thing is about. All of it. All of it is about this. Paul talks about it. He said, all these big, huge, amazing things, miracles, signs, wonders, encounters, Gold dust hanging from the ceiling, whatever it is that your denomination does, all right? The only thing that it's about is love. It's all about family. He said, if you don't have that, you don't have anything. You don't have anything. Nothing matters if you don't have that. Nothing matters. And so when I saw that mountain banner Of course, my heart sank because I didn't understand how to do that. I could do other things. I was kind of a boss babe. I was born an entrepreneur. Talked about that in first service. Shovel over my shoulder. Let me shovel your driveway for you. You know, my grandpa worked at Empire Pencil Company in little Shelbyville, Tennessee. And he would send us big boxes of pencils, like number two pencils and erasers. I would sell them door to door. They're for us. But I was like, hey, you know, I see a business here. So I had those gifts. And I had those talents. I even used to charge kids to come into my yard. I know that's bad. (laughs) But we had the only real way to get down to Lake Erie to the beach. And I was like, you can't come through. You got to pay the toll. All right. So it was my thing. Maybe I was meant to be in New York. I don't know. What's up? Right. So when I saw that family banner, that was something that God was asking me to do that I didn't feel qualified to do. I didn't feel equipped to do that. And every time I would ask the Lord, because I had other endeavors that were little part-time things that allowed me to be home with my kids, like television and executive-type roles and business-type roles in my life. And I wanted to do that full-time. And I was like, God, you know, why aren't you preparing me for my future? And he's like, I am. I was like, I don't understand. This is not what I want to do. And he's like, I know that it's not what you want to do because you don't know who you are. You don't know who you are. God will give you the best thing that you never knew you even wanted. He will. Who's who's willing to allow him to do that? He'll give you the best thing that you never knew you even wanted. Because so much of what you want comes from some broken deficit that you're still trying to fill. So much of your desires. I tell my singles all the time, when you heal your heart, the first phase of our program is heart healing. When you heal your heart, your taste in the opposite sex is gonna change. It's gonna change. Because if you let God write the love story, it's gonna be a good one. People are so scared to surrender that pen to God. They're like, they're scared that, you know, ladies, that he's gonna write a love story with a man that's five inches shorter than you. Ladies, come on. First of all, all men, most men are like 5'8". Just get over it. Just get over it. I'm 5'10". If anyone should get the tall drinks of water, it should be me. But guess what? I got the best love story that I could have ever imagined. Two inches shorter than me. I got a short king. Come on. Come on. Woo! 
So we have to get back to the main thing being the main thing. God was taking me to school on family because he knew that I missed those classes. He understood that I didn't have that information. And I, if I, I would lie to you if I told you that it was easy. It wasn't. It stretched me. It stretched me time and time again with vulnerability. It, it stretched me time and time again with, you know, my desires versus God's desires and so many things. But I can stand before you and tell you it is the best decision that I have ever made. And guess what? I still got to do all the other stuff. I just got to do it with a different heart. Because loving my family and sacrificing myself for that family and allowing myself to be stretched in that way has made me a different person. It has made me more anointed, if you like that word. It has made me um, more understanding of other people. It has made me better at being an entrepreneur because now I truly see the needs of people before I had a really one faceted view. And now I really understand what it is to serve people and to love people and to allow myself to be loved because that's the key. We're never gonna love others if we don't allow God to love us. So I talked about all the things that we make the main thing instead of the main thing. All of the things that are not bad the miracles, the signs, the wonders, the prophetic words, all the things. My daughter's in a ministry school right now that really focuses on that a lot. And my daughter feels overwhelmed a lot because she's like, you know, it's always just about encounter and encounter and encounter and encounter and encounter and encounter. And I was like, honey, you just need to meet Jesus. That's all. You're just there to meet Jesus. Don't worry about that. That's all you're here to do. You're just here to meet Jesus. And you know, when Jesus was on the earth and before, after crucifixion, before resurrection, and when he was continuing to disciple his followers, he said, all these things that you see greater than these things will you do because I go to my father. And I happen to believe that that statement is not about bigger miracles. It's not about better dead raisings. I mean, Jesus did it all. It's not like, oh, this person's been dead longer than anyone that Jesus ever raised, <laughs> right? More eyeballs popping into sockets, more legs growing out. And yes, I've heard all the stories and I love those stories and they're amazing. And you know why? Because that shows whoever is there, whatever country, whatever, you know, whatever a moment and encounter people group is having that miracle shown to them that they're gonna know that God is real, that heaven is real. But if we don't have love, I know a woman who was raised from the dead as a child. Raised from the dead. She was laying out in the family parlor with the coins over her eyes, not alive. And someone who was passing by, a stranger to the family, he saw the people gathered at the house and he asked what's happening. And they said, this family's daughter, I think she was about nine or 10 years old, has passed away. And he was so overcome with emotion so overcome with the spirit of God that he went into the house and grabbed the daughter off of the table and she came to life, right? And so those are incredible stories. But that woman, the last I heard, was not walking with the Lord. So just because you see a miracle sign and wonder, just because you know heaven is real, right? We will be known by our what? Our miracle signs and wonders? by our love, but we can't be known by our love if we won't allow ourselves to be loved. That's where it starts. And remember, so this is an invitation. It's an invitation to, God, I'm looking at you. And so many of you are good Christians. You know, you're here, you know, you do the things that God asked you to do. You're looking at him, you're looking at him, but you don't see how he's looking at you. You don't see how he's loving you and how he wants to love you and how he wants to bless you. You don't see that. And God wants to show you that today. So not bigger miracles, not better miracles. I believe the miracle that God, that Jesus was talking about that was gonna be greater than all of those was going to be love. And why? Because we're living in a day and time when love is a miracle. Love is a miracle, isn't it? If you show love, if you show mercy, if you show hope, in fact, the word of God tells us, if you have hope, you know, in, in the age that you're living in, if you have hope, you better be ready to explain yourself. That's what it says. If you have hope, you got some explaining to do. 
Because why would you have hope? Don't you know we're in a recession? Why are you so chipper? Don't you know it's an election year? Why are you so happy? People really want to know. People notice. They notice when you have joy. David was talking about yesterday, the guy at our airport, because we fly out of Austin, it's a small airport. He's always out there directing traffic, you know, for the, the drop-off at, you know, departures. And he's, he's super happy. He's like, come on, I got you. Over here, over here. Oh, yeah, mm, come on. Oh, yeah, come on, girl, you can do it. Come over here. You know, and he's just got so much joy. And I bet he's a believer. I bet he is. Because he's got a lot of joy doing something that ain't fun. And you guys, everyone has a one-off, but I've never seen him off. I haven't. He's got joy. He's serving people, and he's loving every minute of it. And God wants us to feel that way about our lives. He wants us to love our one and only life. What you do with this one and only life, he wants you to love it. He wants you to find joy in it. And if you don't, I want to tell you, you might be in a stretching season, but it's possible that God has a different assignment for you. But it's going to come on the other side of risk. It's going to come on the other side of trust. It's come on, going to come on the other side of you seeing how God is looking at you so that you can read where he's sending you. The little love notes that are guiding you. You know, people are always like, follow the breadcrumbs. But because I work with what I work with, I'm like, mm, breadcrumbing is not actually a good thing. We don't want God to breadcrumb us, but he leaves us little love notes, right? He does. He leaves us little love notes. So John 13 says that, you know, and I want us to pay attention to what was happening in John 13. This is the same chapter where Jesus serves his disciples, washes their feet. This is the same, this is the same chapter where he, he sits in and fellowships with his betrayer, right? Look at all the things that are happening here. You know, and, and, then, and then at the end of that, he talks about how people are going to know that I was the Christ because of your love. He was modeling something for us. He was showing us forgiveness. He was showing us to not just look at the what that people do to us, but the why behind it. Because that is the main ingredient to forgiveness, is letting God make you empathetic, not to what people do, but why they do it. That doesn't give it a pass. It doesn't mean that it wasn't wrong. It doesn't mean that you can have reconciliation. Forgiveness doesn't denote reconciliation. It doesn't. But it does tell us that we can let something go and we can release someone on their way, right? And so one of the main components of a full forgiveness cycle is you'll start to see the brokenness in the why of that person. Not just what they did, but why they did it, why they felt they needed to do it, the orphan or scarcity mentality, the fear-based trauma thinking that they're operating in that caused them to do whatever they did that hurt you. I really feel that right now. When you forgive someone, you're not giving them permission to, you're not, you're not saying that what they did was okay. A lot of times we can't forgive the big things because we're afraid by saying that, we forgive that person, it lets them get off the hook. You guys, it's not your hook. It's not your hook. If they live in opposition to the cross, that's, that's between them and God, right? So it's not your hook, but you get to go free. When we operate in unforgiveness, we get to be on the same hook as them. We get tethered to trauma. If they're the villain, then you have to be the victim. If they're the liar, then you have to be the lied about. If they're the cheater, then you have to be the cheated on. Do you understand? But the moment that you forgive them, you cut that tether and they're free to go be whoever they decide to be between them and the Lord. If they decide to repent and get on the right side of the cross, that's awesome. That's amazing. That's not up to you. But you also get to come back into your identity. You get to be free. Come on, somebody. Yeah. So I believe that God is gathering up the mavericks right now. I do. I think he's gathering up the creatives, the misfits, the rebels of religion. I believe he is asking us, you know, will we be the people that choose the, the, the ones that have not been assigned an assignment because there was no value put on them because they weren't skilled laborers necessarily in the kingdom? 
Like the church age transitioning into the kingdom age and us saying, hey, you know what? There's room for more. I believe that 2024 is not just the year of more. I believe it's the, the year of no more the table for four, but the table for more. Farmhouse tables. People in the first service came up to me afterwards. They're from Reading. They moved to New York. They feel called to be part of spiritual community here and help to reap the harvest. God's sending laborers from other places where they have enough room for farmhouse tables. And they said that they had this beautiful farmhouse table in their home in Reading that they made from a tree from Reading. And when I said that this morning, they kind of knew they were in the right place, right? Isn't that cool? They knew that God was confirming what it is that he has sent them here to do. So I believe that we're marked by heaven, but I also believe that there are other people out there that are also marked by heaven, like me when I was a little girl and I visited my grandma's church before all that chaos in my life. In Tennessee, I visited that church and I had an experience that I didn't understand, but I got marked by heaven. I remember saying yes to Jesus being my savior. I didn't get to know him then, but I I said yes to him. And guess what? I was marked by heaven. And there are other people out there that they do belong to the shepherd. They belong to him. And they're waiting for someone to come and tell them who that shepherd is and show them. I love the quote that says, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. If necessary, use words. And I believe that in that harvest, there are harvesters, like the people that I'm talking about. But in that harvest also, there are leaders. You know, I was on the discard pile at the church. I was on the discard pile. No one knew that I was going to become this. The other day on Facebook, I saw a post from a girl that I worked with back in my early 20s when I was a new Christian and I was making a lot of mistakes. Anybody else? I was trying my best. I had a lot of zeal and not a lot of wisdom. Come on. I had a lot of zeal and not a lot of wisdom. I'm like telling you about Jesus and let's go to the bar and let's go, let's go club. Let's go clubbing and we'll talk about how we're world changers for the Lord. I had a little hybrid situation going on in my life (laughs) and that'll happen. But I had people and pastors that discipled me and loved me and were willing to suffer long with me in those early years. And so, yeah, there was a little bit of dichotomy in what I was showing her. And, you know, one day she just got mad at me and I got mad at her too because I didn't have a lot of love yet and have a lot of patience, a lot of grace. And so her and I parted ways and I didn't see her again for probably 10 months. And she was on a reckless path. I recognized that path, but because before I had my encounter with Jesus at 22, I was on that path too. And so I prayed one day in my living room and I said, hey God, I don't know where she is right now, but forgive me for not being a great example. Forgive me for losing my temper with her. Forgive me for not showing more grace and love and mercy. Send her someone more mature than me, more qualified to finish the job. Because I could recognize even in my young Christianity that she was marked by heaven. I didn't know how or why, didn't even understand that concept, but there was something about her. None of us are in this room because we found Jesus. Jesus found us. And you know why? Because he was looking for us. And you know why else? Because we were marked. Because someone in your lineage and legacy was his friend. Yeah, sister. (laughs) And so I prayed that prayer and I didn't expect anything to happen as far as me knowing because we had lost contact. Within a week, there was a at my front door at 10 o'clock at night. And I come from the south side of the kingdom. So I looked out the peephole and I said, who is it? And it was her. She was knocking on my door. She had only been to my house one time before during our friendship. And she somehow remembered how to get there. You guys, this is before cell phones and GPS and all the stuff. Okay, this is the 90s. (laughs) And she said, I opened the door. I said, Kim. She said, hi. I said, what are you doing here? She said, I didn't know where else to go. I said, how did you find this place? She said, I just remembered how to get here. And I got a chance to disciple her. Imperfectly. But disciple her and love her and walk through her, walk with her through some trouble that she had gotten into and things that she had done. She was eight years younger than me. She was just in her early 20s. And by this time I was like 27-ish. And 
I saw on Facebook the other day, you guys, this is 20 something years later, right? I saw her make this big long post. You guys, she's a real estate investor and her and her husband own all these huge properties and they're multimillionaires. You know how many times they tried to get divorced? So many times. Even into your era with me. The whole time that I knew them, trying to get divorced, trying to get divorced, and then I got divorced, I got remarried. They're still trying to get divorced, trying to get divorced. But I knew that they were good together. They were just being immature. They weren't having grace for each other. There wasn't abuse there. There was just immaturity there. And I was like, come on, you guys, you can do this. I kept helping them and kept believing in them and kept ministering to them. They're still together. They've had several children since I was in their lives back when. And they have this huge, beautiful business. But you guys, in the post, it said, I owe all of this to Jesus. I gave my life to him when I was in my early 20s because of a friend that God put in my life that told me about him and continue it, continue to journey with me and help me and love me, continue to, you know, have grace for me. And she just listed all these things. And I knew that I was that friend. I got to see the fruit of my labor, right? I got to see it. And I just commented on the post and I said, I'm so proud of you, girl. And then in my comment, she said, you're the friend. And sometimes we'll get to see that on earth and sometimes we'll only get to see that in heaven. We'll get to see all the people that continued to love God and continue to trust God and continue to take the next step forward because of you. Because you were that brick in their wall. You were that connection. You were that bridge, right? So I think that it's time for us to stop pole fishing. When you pole fish, you're going after just a certain type of fish, right? Maybe the people that you feel comfortable with, maybe the people that are like you, that's great. I do believe that God gives us life experiences that speak to other people, and that's wonderful. Um, But when you have those lures on your fishing line, it's only attracting one type of thing. It's time to get out the nets. It's time to throw out the nets. God says in Matthew 13, he says, throw out the nets, let me sort them out later. You throw out the nets, let me worry about sorting them out. Don't judge them on the outside. Don't judge whether or not they want me or they're qualified to have me or, you know, their lifestyle choices. You guys, listen, I know what it's like to be discipled and I know how you change over grace, truth, and time. Give people grace, truth, and time. You have to. Don't judge where they are when they come here. He says, catch the fish. He doesn't say clean them up. He doesn't say fillet them. (laughs) Don't cook them. (laughs) So here are the different nets that I believe that Life Center has. All right? These are the nets I believe you have, and these are the nets that I believe that God is asking you to throw out. The Matthew 5 net. The Matthew 5 net is part of the Sermon on the Mount. It is the city that's set on a hill that cannot be hid. In the message translation, please go read it. It says that we are to go public with this thing. That Jesus is not a secret to be hid. Right? He's not a secret to be hid. And then it goes on to say, and you won't hide him if you're generous with your lives. Be generous with your life, with other people. Be generous. Invite other people to your table. Love on people. You might not get to journey all the way through them, but you're going to be one of the pavers on their path to Jesus. You get to be a paver. I love that. All right, Matthew 13, that's those nets. Throw them out, let him sort them out. Luke 5, putting his super on your natural. This is the story where the disciples had toiled in their own strength all night, but at the word of Jesus, they let down their nets again. And there were so many fish that they could not bring them up on their own. They had to call their friends. And this is where all the depots come in. I believe this unprecedented harvest cannot just be y'all. It has to be everyone that you partner with, including us. We volunteer. We'll partner with you to do what? To be able to bring in what it is that's going to get caught up in that supernatural net. And this is just in your lives. This isn't just here and winning souls. Although if God can make you a soul winner in the city of stranger danger, then guess what? He can do anything. Because when I tell people that I'm coming to New York to speak, they're like, they act like I'm going to prison. 
They're like, oh, I'm so sorry. Stay off the subway. You know, don't, don't talk to him. Don't make eye contact. I'm like, that's the problem here. We're not going to do that, right? So yes, be a soul winner in this city for sure. But this applies to your everyday life, your vocations, you know, your ministries, because we're all ministers of reconciliation out there. We're all doing this. So God wants to put his super on your natural. Who wants God's super on their natural? Like starting today, not like at some, you know, distant place of perfection when you deserve the super on your natural. God has used me the most powerfully when I least should have been. And I love that. Like, sign me up. John 13, the other net. This is the net that I just talked about where God is giving us that cheat sheet of what our main assignment is. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. It's love. Let's serve others. He's washing feet. He's extending grace to betrayers and deniers, Peter. He's, you know, he's loving people that are unlovable. Guys, when people are unlovable, that's actually when they need the most love. And we cannot do this in our own power. Remember, this is not something like, go try harder to love people. No, this is like God telling you, hey, I will, I'll put the super on your natural. I'll love people through you if you let me. And guess what else? I'll love you. I'll love you. Outside of your performance, outside of what you deserve. Guys, if we earn it and deserve it, it's no longer grace. It's no longer grace. You can do no good thing in your own strength and in your own ability. It doesn't say you can do some good things. It says you can do no good things. But when we trust the Lord, we're able to do good works. And guess what? People see those things and they glorify our God in heaven. They immediately know, this didn't come from you. This must come from God. This is an invitation today. This is an invitation. There are so many missing resources in the kingdom of God and those missing resources are people. And they are in this harvest. I felt very specifically because of what I do and what my ministry is that some of your wives and husbands are in this next pool up of fish, right? This next draft of fish, this next net that comes up. That's where they are. And guess what? They might not look the way you expected them to look. They might not have the background that you expected them to have, but there'll be an undeniable supernatural connection between the two of you. And you have an amazing God defense system around you. Strong communities make strong marriages. Marriage should never happen in isolation. Romance should never happen in isolation. Dating shouldn't even happen in isolation. It should be a place where you're seen and you're known and you're loved by community and by heaven. So go ahead and shut your eyes. I'm going to pray this over you. So Father God, I just thank you for your sons and daughters that came here for this supernatural moment. I thank you for everything that you've shared with us today. Anyone who's feeling the pressure to try to perform this or make this happen in their own strength, anyone who's feeling indicted instead of invited, Lord, we just lift that off of you in Jesus' name. We just release that and we just speak grace over you. We speak grace over you. You are loved by the Father. You are loved by the Father outside of performance, outside of perfection, outside of your own abilities and talents. You are worthy of love. I hear, the, I hear heaven saying the song we were saying, you are worthy of it all. He said, you were worth it all. You are worthy of it all. That's what he's saying back to you. You are worthy of it all. All the pain, all the suffering. Jesus was a man. He was all man and all God. He had to choose. You were worth everything that he did. You were worth it. You were what he was looking at. You were what he was saw. You were the joy that was set before him. You are worthy of it all. Right now, I just, I just release a supernatural grace to believe that, a supernatural grace to get a hold of that and that your life would be transformed by it. You'll begin to operate in the supernatural like never before because you'll know that it is not about you. It's only about him. It's not about what you can do. It's only about what you allow him to do through you. From this moment forward, you are going to get crazy and allow God to just show up and do whatever needs to be done through you. You're gonna have trust and faith that if you take a step towards Jesus in this, in this way, in this message, that he's gonna, he's gonna come the rest of the way to you. 
And we just release that over you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Can we all stand? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you for the words spoken over us today. God, I thank you that you were hitting some highlights. I really believe like the Lord is just was highlighting certain things to certain people because there's times and seasons that God is bringing us into, and even in your own lives, he's, he's just, he is heightening our awareness of what he wants to do in this time and in this season. So, Father, we just say, come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Just do what you want to do, God. Father, we thank you for a sensitivity to your Holy Spirit. God, that we won't just pass by, but we'll turn aside. God, thank you that you are writing our story. We just say, come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. Let's just begin to worship him. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at LifeCenterChurchNYC.